thank you for joining us on the East Bay Bible Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that you'll be blessed by the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. We're located at 1361 High Street in the city of Alameda, California. For more information and service times, you can find us on the web at ebbfellowship.com. That's ebbfellowship.com. Thank you and God bless. try to get out of preaching it, but uh, I'm just going to go ahead and try to obey God. Amen? All right, Luke chapter 4 and 16. Everyone say amen when they got it. Luke 4 and 16 says, and he came to Nazareth, it's speaking of Jesus, where he had been brought up. And as his custom, everyone say custom. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And then we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. It's kind of a tricky little book to find, so you're going to have to scroll over some. Book of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 25. Many of us know this verse. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner, everyone say custom. Custom. That word manner there And the word custom in the prior verse is the same in Greek. It's the word ethos, as is the custom of some, but exhorting, encouraging one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And I want to talk to you just for a few minutes on this very simple subject, the custom of some, the custom of some. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is powerful. It is anointed and Lord, we pray that you would speak to us today and open our hearts and our minds to receive. God, bless our children in Sunday school. Bless their teachers. Lord, let them grow in learning and understanding in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. The Bible that you're holding in your hands is really an anthology of several books. It's really not one book. It's 66 books. But for uh, the sake of this morning's lesson, we're going to say that it's sectioned into two major pieces. And these two major pieces are commonly referred to as the Old and the New Testament. Everyone say testament. A testament is a contract. And when we use the word testament in uh, religious terms, it is referring to a contract between God and people. And this contract lays out the ordering and the arranging of things. And if you wonder what I mean by things, though this is not today's topic, um, it is usually the ordering and the arranging of religious rights, practices, uh, civil order, and even property uh, rights. But um, the way that these two testaments or contracts of the Bible are divided is not always uh, so easily discerned. It's not always simple to tell when you pick up your Bible where they actually begin and where where one ends and the other one begins. Most people assume, and to some degree rightfully, that the New Testament begins in the book of Matthew. Um, But uh, this is not really the way the Bible really works. 
Um, in fact, uh, it's so complicated for some people to determine where one ends and the other one begins that it's not uncommon to find Christians these days that still try to implement Old Testament uh, practices in their lives. Um, uh, I can go down the list of, of uh, Christian uh, denominations, etc., that, you know, whatever the thing may be, they, they will try to practice something that was considered obligatory in the Old Testament, but non-obligatory in the New Testament. Uh, but the Bible is actually clear, believe it or not, as to where the Old Testament ends and where the New Testament begins. And the line uh, of demarcation uh, can be seen in the book of Hebrews, where we just read from, chapter 9 and verse 16, it says, For where a testament is, or a contract, or a will, uh, is there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. For where a testament is of force, uh, because a testament is a force after a man is dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator lives. And so here what the writer is telling us is that this contract between God and man, um, the, the, the dividing line, amen, is at the death of Jesus Christ. Amen. amen. While Jesus is alive, amen, uh, you are still reading in the Old Testament. It's after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection that the New Testament begins. And can you say amen? Um, having said all that, I want you to understand that Jesus himself lived in accordance with the stipulations and the guidelines of the Old Testament. For the sake of this morning's message, and I hope you understand what I mean by this, um, as it pertains to Jesus' humanity, who he was as a man, Amen. In his flesh, he was an observant Jew. That's what Jesus was, socially, religiously, uh, etc. He was a religious, observant Jew. He practiced the commandments of the Old Testament. This includes, but it is not limited to, the keeping of the Sabbath. Everyone say Sabbath. The keeping of the Sabbath. And we're going to talk a little bit of the Sabbath here. The Sabbath is also referred to in the Bible as the seventh day. It is the seventh day, which today we would refer to as Saturday. But it is referred to as the seventh day. And the seventh day is a time when people were commanded by God to cease from their activities. And they were to do this in a response to what God did when he created the world in six days. The Bible says that after he created the world in six days, most Bibles use the word, and he rested on the seventh day. But that's really not the best word to use. The best word to use there is he stopped or he ceased. And what God did on the seventh day, God is omnipotent. He has all power. It would be a contradiction to say that God needs to, to rest or that God needs to take a nap. If you have all power, you don't run out of power. Amen. And so on the seventh day, what God did was not take a nap, was not sit down in his solar-powered wheelchair because uh, he doesn't have one. Amen. But what God did was he stopped from all his labor and activities. Amen. And God asks his people to do the same in keeping the Sabbath. Now, in order to keep the Sabbath, uh, or what the scripture calls keeping the Sabbath, there were several rules involved. There was a lot of things that you could not do. Like anything else, if all you did 
was follow the rules, however, amen, you were probably uh, going to miss the bigger picture of the Sabbath. Amen. If all you did was just observe the rules, amen, if all you did was just say, okay, God said, I can't work today. And God said, I, had just, I have to go down to the synagogue today, uh, which was their religious centers, like their churches in antiquity. If, if God said that I just got to stop working and go down to the church, amen, if that, and that's all I'm going to do is just follow that to the T, uh, you are going to miss a bigger picture. Eventually, that practice is going to become empty to you. Eventually, you are going to resent that practice because your heart is not involved. You are just following a rule. You are just doing as you are being told. It was, I want to talk to you a little bit about the actual thing we call the Sabbath and uh, because it does affect us today. Um, the Sabbath was about seeing God in time, not just in space. Our world consists of two elements, two realms, space and time. And what the Sabbath is, it's incredible because it is one of the very few observances that God says, you will practice the Sabbath. You will observe the Sabbath regardless of what happens in space. Many of the biblical uh, observances of festivals and all that were determined by the, by, by the sun and the moon. And uh, they were determined by the seasons and in the, in the times and the days and the months. And in some cases, well, in the pagan world, in, uh, in the world, in the non-biblical world, um, they, their celebrations, their, their, their holidays, per se, um, are also dependent on seasons and days and times. And, and not only that, but on what nature yields, on what space gives out, amen, on how much harvest goes out and how much is kept. And, and so uh, God does something radically different here. He says, no matter what's going on in in space, no matter what's going on on your job, no matter what, no matter what month it is, no matter what year it is, no matter what's going on inside of the physical material world, you will observe this day right here. Amen. And um, what, what, what God is doing on a much grander scale, and even this morning as I got down to pray, I began to weep just thinking about this. I, I just wept because what God is also trying to get us to see is that he is not a God that is just in space. And a lot of times we think about God as just being in space. We say the Lord is here. Or, or you know, the scripture even refers to God inhabiting Jerusalem, these places. And so we think about God. And, you know, even, even to some degree, the monotheistic religions of the world have this confined idea of God where, you know, you got to go to Jerusalem. You have to go to Mecca. You have to go to the whatever. And they, they see God as being, you know, uh, centered around some geographic location. But what the Sabbath is telling us is that God is in time. God inhabits time. He is in the past. He is in the present. He is in the future. He is in that thing, amen, that's much larger than space, amen. And what's, why is this powerful? This is powerful because God, I want you to understand this, God can reach into your past and he can cover it. He can deal with it, amen. Amen, I'm, I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm not afraid to tell you, amen, because I've been there. I know what it is to go to therapists and psychologists, amen, when I'm depressed and, and I'm suicidal. 
and I didn't know what to do with my life. And they tried to reach into my past, but they couldn't get back there. Amen. And I couldn't get back there. Amen. I could see it. I could evaluate it. I could try to understand it. But you know what? No matter how far you look into your past, amen, you only figure out that there's not a whole lot you know about it. And, and, and in fact, amen, uh, but, but can I tell you that when I came into a church, amen, and I, and I, and I encountered the God who's in time, he's in the past, amen, hallelujah, we, 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 uh, th- this is what happens when a person gives their life to Jesus, amen, I'm telling you, God goes throughout your life, he doesn't just enter your life, amen, he doesn't just, just enter your soul at that moment, can I tell you that God begins to work out your past, amen, and can I, can I, can I tell you that God is in your future, hallelujah, God is God. God will be in your present. He'll be in your future. Amen. That's the kind of God. Amen. Hallelujah. That, that, that we're talking about here today. A God that deals with the past. A God that's present in the present. Amen. And a God that's present in the future. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Amen. The, the Sabbath was about reflecting on the relationship that people have with each other. It wasn't just about solely thinking about God. It was also about thinking about people's relationships with one another. During this time that we call the Sabbath or the scripture calls the seventh day, the goal was not to own things. The goal was to give. The goal was not to have. The goal was to share. The goal was not to control, but to be in unity. The acquisition of things along with the hustle and the drive of life was to give way to the spiritual life. It was, it was, and, and, and let me say this. The goal of the Sabbath was not to say, the spiritual life is uh, uh, voids out the material life. You you have to eat. You 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 have to live. Uh, you 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 don't have to drive a car, but I it, it's nice if you do. Hallelujah. Uh, but I'm I'm not neither scripture nor myself. Uh, I think uh, doesn't try to to. Dem- to, to diminish the realities of the material life, the things we have to do, the jobs we have to go to, amen, the clothes we have to wear, amen, the colors we enjoy, hallelujah, the, the car that we drive, the, the scripture doesn't try to diminish that, but what the scripture does want us to know is that there is something above that, amen, amen. There, there, is, there is a life above that, amen, God bless you, come on in, amen, that there is a life above that, there is a life above the material world, amen, there is a realm outside of the material realm, and, but when we get to Jesus, amen, and his keeping of the Sabbath or the seventh day, the scripture that we just read this morning in the book of Luke is very careful to word things in a very unique way. And it says this. It says that he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as was his. Everyone say his. As was his custom. It does not say that this was a custom. And it does not say that this was customary. And neither does it say that Jesus obeyed the commandment to keep the Sabbath. It says that it was his custom. This was his practice. This is what he did. In other words, Jesus did not look at one day of the week, at this one day of the week, amen, uh, 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 as something that was just out there in the ephemeral world, amen. He looked at it as something that was his, amen. He looked at it as 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 an event, amen, that he could own, hallelujah, uh, Jesus, Jesus looked forward as a man. He looked forward to this day when, when all things focused on God and on people. Amen. And Jesus looked at this day not just as a rule, but as the 
but as the ruler that measured the rest of life. Hallelujah. He didn't just look at this as some obligatory thing he had to do. Amen. He looked at this as a privilege. He looked at this as something that he wanted to practice and participate in. He looked at this as a wonderful opportunity. Amen. To keep things in their proper perspective and their proper focus. And if you're wondering, and I'm I'm getting way ahead of myself here today. And if you're wondering what I'm about to talk about today, I'm going to talk about, amen, the privilege of coming to church. The privilege of having a place where you can go to, amen, and think about higher things and think about better things and think about worthwhile things. Hallelujah. I don't think I'm alone here today. I think I could get a high five and an amen from everybody. Amen. When I said that, when I say that, you know what? Life's not just about the car. Life's not just about the clothes. Life's just not about Instagram and Facebook and hustling. Amen. Life's got, life, life's got so much more to offer than that. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. And, and you know, I know, I know the negative view that religion has out there these days, but I can't as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, as somebody who, who, who came into church one day, a full-blown atheist, not even believing in God, suicidal, a drug addict, amen, not lacking any of the resources of this world, but just very much left empty by the things of this world, amen, I would be betraying God, amen, to tell you that church is not a wonderful place to be, I would be betraying God, amen, to, te- amen, to withhold from you the reality, amen, that church is not, not just to rule, it's the way we rule the rest of life, it's a ruler to measure the rest of life by, hallelujah, amen, it's when you come in here that your life Amen. You have a few moments away from all the noise. Amen. It's, it's, it's a moment where you can get away from the static and get a signal. Hallelujah. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of the static. I want a signal. Amen. I want, I want, I want a signal in my life. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Jesus' view of everything that was embodied in these 24 hours was that it was a gift from God to humankind. And, and this is, this, you, you probably don't want this history lesson, but I'll give it to you anyways. Amen. Throughout antiquity, all kinds of civilizations, and the Jews traveled throughout the whole world, uh, but um, uh, civilizations would mock the Jews. They'd say, in fact, you, you're lucky we're living in, in what we might consider a Judeo-Christian uh, 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 time frame, you know, this Gregorian ca- calendar we use, because the Babylonians and the Romans and others, they had 10-day work weeks. Amen. Some of them even had longer work weeks. I mean, I, today, I don't know what this day would be called, but we'd be some 10 days in and you, you wouldn't have a day off. And, and when they saw these people, amen, who every seventh day would stop, they said, these people are lazy. They're, they're slothful. Amen. They, 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 they're, 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 they're no good. Amen. But, but it wasn't too long. Amen. You know, there's just something about a stubborn minority. Hallelujah. There's just something about a small group of people that say, no, we know what we got going on. Hallelujah. Amen. And before you know it, hallelujah. Amen. You're drinking kosher lemonade. Hallelujah. But, <laughs> but let me say this. Amen. Um, they, 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 they said, we're not going to participate in that 10 day work week. We're going to take one day off, not because we're lazy, but when we, when we get, in fact, let me, let, and I'm sorry, I know I'm like way out there right now, but let me say this. Amen. Uh, the, the scripture concerning the Sabbath says, and on the seventh day you shall rest. But the scripture before that is also a commandment that we forget about a lot of times. It says six days shalt thou work. God is all about the hustle. God, God don't want lazy folk. Hallelujah. Amen. God saves lazy folk. Hallelujah. But I'm telling you, God, God don't got nothing against you working hard six days a week. God don't got nothing against you grinding six days a week. But there has to be a day when it's not about the grind, but it's about God. There's just got to be a day when you're not checking in and checking out 
out and handing and putting looking for a check. There's just got to be a day, amen, where you're not talking about employer, employee. There's got to be a day when you say, I'm here among the people of God, amen. We're here on level ground, hallelujah. We are all here to worship the Lord. We are all here to set our eyes and our affections on things above, not on things beneath, hallelujah. 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 But Jesus saw the Sabbath, this, this taking a day, Amen. Of, of, of cessation, of stopping, of, of reflection. Amen. He saw this as a gift from God to humankind. How do we know that? Because in Mark 2 and 27, Jesus says, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And what had happened even among Jesus' own culture is that it became about the rule. It became about the, the, uh, the, 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 the religion. It, 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 and I'm not against religion, but... What it became to them was it was about, you know, the Sabbath became more important, amen, than the people it was meant to serve. Amen. And God, God says, you guys got this all backwards. You guys got, this is, this is, this is, this is not what it's about. From, from Jesus' childhood onward, Jesus was eager to enter into that day. Jesus looked forward to those 24 hours. And Jesus looked forward to stepping into the temple, amen, on a weekly basis. Not because it was a rule, amen, but because it was what his heart longed for. Because it was where the presence of God was. It was where the presence of his brethren and his fellow man was. Amen. He looked forward to that day. He didn't look away from that day. In Matthew 12 and 12, it is in the synagogue and on the Sabbath day that Jesus finds a man with a withered hand who's sitting at the back of the church, amen. He is sitting all the way in the back of the synagogue, hiding, amen, because of his, uh, because of his physical challenges, amen. He, he does not want to, amen, acclimate with the rest of his world, amen. Uh, in the Bible days, if you had any kind of deformity or anything like that, uh, you would be extremely marginalized. You, you, you would many times be kept away from the rest of society, and there is a man, amen, on the Sabbath day, amen, sitting all the way in the back, hiding his withered hand, hoping nobody sees him, not wanting to be a disturbance to anybody, amen, feeling marginalized, not just so much by people, but by even the environment, amen. Um, you know, you, we, we don't really ever think about this too much, but, you know, even the, the very, the design of our, of our, of our surroundings, you know, the, the, the civil engineering of things, amen, doesn't always accommodate people with physical uh, challenges, you know, there's, there's now, you know, here in California they do, but I travel all over the United States. You go places and they don't care if you got one leg shorter than the other. Everybody got to jump up the curb, you know. They, they, I mean, there's just, their stop signs don't talk, amen. Our stop signs talk and they, they light up and the curb goes down to accommodate people. But that's not the way it is everywhere. And in the Bible days, even less, even less. If you, if you had a deformity of any kind or a handicap or whatever, you were not going to be accommodated. You had to adjust. And Jesus looks at this man with the withered hand, amen, and he, he says, stretch forth your hand. And the man stretches forth his hand, and he is healed. And all of a sudden, the people in the synagogue uh, on that Sabbath day, they get in a fuss. And they're like, we're supposed to rest on the Sabbath. We're not supposed to be doing these miracles on, 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 on this day. These, these 24 hours are, are for so the strict purposes of doing nothing, amen, and just and, and, and you're over here healing people. And Jesus looks at them and he says, how much then is a man better than a sheep? Because he tells them first, he says, how many of you, if you had a sheep that fell in a ditch, you wouldn't go get it 
on the Sabbath day. He says, this man is better than a sheep. Hallelujah. And he says, therefore, it is lawful, amen, to do well on the Sabbath. Jesus saw the Sabbath as a day, amen, to celebrate, to heal. Amen. He didn't look at it as this day to be solemn and quiet, amen, with your hands folded. Amen. He, he saw this as a, as, a, as, a, as a joyous occasion, amen, where the presence of God was inhabiting, amen, those 24 hours. Hallelujah. In Mark chapter 5, amen, the Bible talks to us about a man named Jairus, amen, who was who had a daughter who was on, on, uh, on her deathbed. She was dying. She was sick. And he, he knew in his mind, there's a man from Galilee. There's a man from Nazareth, amen, that, that can heal my daughter. And it just so happened that his daughter was dying on the Sabbath day. His daughter was dying, amen, on that special day, on that special 24-hour uh, segment of life, amen. She was going down. Her health was deteriorating by the second, amen. And he thought, I got to get a hold of Jesus. And he knew exactly where to find Jesus. The Bible says he went to the synagogue, hallelujah, and he asked Jesus to come back to his house with them. And you know what? Jesus said, this is what this is all about. This is about life. This is about, amen, healing. This is about, amen, bringing, this is about children. Hallelujah. This is about mother and father relationships, father and daughter relationships. He said, I'll gladly go with you. He walked out of the Sabbath and into Jairus's house. And before you know it, Jairus's daughter, amen, was in his arms again, alive and well. Hallelujah. It is inside the synagogue and on the Sabbath day that Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives. And the recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The Sabbath was a good thing. It was not a bad thing. People had turned it into a bad thing. But Jesus said, you guys got it twisted. Not God. God did this right. Amen. Man has messed it up. Amen. But it is a good thing that God has given us here. A day when we can all come together and pray for one another. A day when we can all come together and worship God together. A day when we can all come together and sing together. A day when we can all come together and cry together. A day when we can come together. Amen. And reminisce over our living and our deceased the day when we can all come together and hold our children in our hands and not think about what's going to happen when we leave. Today is a good day. Amen. I can't as a, I, I can't in good conscience, amen, apologize to anybody, amen, for a church service. I can't in good conscience, amen, hallelujah, tell you that church is not something you need. You need a day of rest. You, you need a day when you can just chill out, amen, and get out of the static and get in the signal. You, everybody needs a day when they can just stop everything and say, you know what? When it's all said and done, all I got is God. All I got is my husband. All I got is my wife. All I got is my son and my daughter. All I got is my family. All I got, amen, hallelujah, are the things that, that this world can't take away. All I got, hallelujah, amen, you, you, we think we got great jobs, but your boss will swivel his chair and get rid of you, hallelujah. We think, amen, that money can save us and all it takes is a few people running a Ponzi scheme and you're a 401k and your savings account will be drained, hallelujah. All it takes, amen, amen, we, all it takes is, amen, for, 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 for your genes, amen, to take a twist and a turn on you. And before you know it, you don't even have health, but something the world, your health and the finances can't take away is God, is the relationship you have with him and the relationship we have with one another. Hallelujah. Oh, come on, let's praise God right now. Hallelujah. And I, this is not part of my message this morning, but let me say this. You know, the other day I had to do a, amen, uh, I did a little accusation audit on myself. Hallelujah. 
I really begin to look at my life and, and really tra- and, and scrupulously and, and even perhaps some might even say negatively. But you know what? I just I feel good doing that. Maybe that don't make everybody feel good. But I feel good looking at the mirror and, and actually looking at the things I don't like. Looking at the things that worry me and looking at the things that I fear. Um, my, my mother is not a church going person. My mother is not Christian, really, by any standards. But you know what? I, I really came down to, to, to the brutal reality. I thought, well, what would happen if my life really fell apart? Who would I have? And you know what I, you know what I really came to the conclusion? I'd have my mother. I know that. I know my mom would stick by me. She, she's not a perfect person, but she, I'm, her, I'm her favorite. Hallelujah. I got other brothers and sisters, but they're not in the picture like I am. <laughs> but she would stand by me. I know that. I know that. Nothing, nothing changes that. You know, your, your, your son is your son and your daughter is always your daughter. And I, I, I'd have my mother. Now, not, not everybody's in that situation, but I, I know I'd have my mother. I'd have my daughters. I know that. I know I'd have my daughters. I'd have my church family. Hallelujah. You know, I, I have that. I, I don't know about my Facebook friends. Uh, I don't, they, they may or may not start a GoFundMe for me, but uh, hallelujah. And I know I have God. I know I have God. Hallelujah. And I know I'd have a Sunday Hallelujah. every day of the week. Uh-huh. Amen. I'm telling you, I've already made up my mind. If I get so sick, I can't walk. If I get so sick, you got to drag me out of bed. We're setting up a lazy boy in the back and I'm uh-huh. coming to church. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Not because I'm obligated to. Amen. You know, and if you're wondering, and let me just say this, and I hope I'm not boring anybody, uh-huh. but let me just say this. Uh, you know, I get a lot of people ask me, do I... As a Christian, do I have to go to church? Am I a Christian if I don't go to church? Uh, and, you know, I, I usually like to ask the question, well, um, can you be a fish that doesn't, that's not in water? Yeah, you could be a fish, a dead fish. <laughs> yeah, you, could, you could be a fish, but not a very good one. A smelly, stinky, dead fish. Hallelujah. And uh, so, yes, you, you could probably have some religious slant and even wear the, the, the label of a Christian if you wanted to. Amen. But the reality is that on the inside, you wouldn't have, amen, the nutrients, the spiritual nutrients, amen, uh, that help you to metabolize life, that help you, amen, to, to take in, amen, and properly deal with, amen, hallelujah, all the, all the mess that life throws at us, hallelujah, amen. So, uh, but, but let's, let's finish up here. Uh, the, the apostles of Jesus Christ, they continued in the custom of the Lord Jesus Amen. And it wasn't so much, amen, about, amen, the issue for them was not so much about the seventh day, but it was about not letting seven days go by without putting God first. Wasn't it so much about Saturday anymore, but it was about not letting life dominate your existence, not letting Money and jobs and all these things, many of which we need, but not letting those things, amen, crack the whip over you. Not letting those things, amen, crack the whip over your marriage and determine, amen, how you're going to treat your wife, how you're going to treat your children, the mood you're going to be in, all these things. No, that, that's, not, that's not how life works. Amen. The early church gathered together in an upper room in Acts chapter 1 and 2. The Bible says the early church gathered together in an upper room to pray with one another and to ask God for the promise of his Holy Spirit. 
They could have stayed home and done this, but they did not do that. Amen. They knew we have to gather together. In Acts 3 and then in Acts 16, the Bible says they gathered together to pray. They could have prayed at home by themselves, but they did not do this. They came together to pray. In Acts chapter 5, an angel commands the apostles to preach in the temple. And the Bible goes on to say that they responded by being in the temple daily. They could have preached out of their homes, something that they actually often did. But they also saw the need to join themselves to others. And in this case, daily, amen, and engage in the spiritual life. In Acts chapter 20, the Bible says they gathered together to break bread and to listen to Paul preach. They did not stay home and ask their friends to tell them what Paul preached. Amen. They, 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 and you know, the scripture says in Acts chapter 28, in fact, that Paul actually at one point rented a house and all he did was stay in that house and preach and people would come, amen, to hear him preach. But people knew I'm, I'm going to have to get out from where I'm at. I'm going to have to leave my house and I'm going to have to go gather. Everyone say gather and gather together with a group of believers. You know, nobody thinks it odd that the sports world says, let's all gather together and, and go to this game. Nobody thinks it odd when musicians and entertainers say, let's all gather. It's called a concert. Let's all gather together. Amen. And sing my song together. Nobody thinks it odd. Amen. When, when we all gather together to vote or when we gather together to represent some cause. Amen. Those, those, we, the reason we gather together in those moments is because we think those causes worthy. Hallelujah. I would hope to God that I would not have to, amen, argue with anybody, amen, about whether God is a worthy cause, about whether our children and our families are a worthy cause, as to whether or not we should all gather together, hallelujah, and, and celebrate the goodness of God in our lives. Hallelujah. And uh, I, know, I know I've been talking for a long time here, but I do have to finish because I think this is very important. And the verse we read in Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 25, the Bible says that within the early development of the Christian church and community, there were some, there were some, there were some that had forsaken, which literally means neglected or gotten out of the habit of gathering together weekly. And the Bible says, the scripture says uh, that our response, not the preacher's, but the church's response mm -hmm. to anybody who neglects, who forsakes, mm -hmm. who gets out of the habit of going to church, that we should exhort them, which literally means to strongly urge them and encourage them. Amen. God bless our visitors here today. I'm sure whoever brought you really encouraged you to come. <laughs> Hallelujah. And you know what? Don't feel bad. I remember when I first came to church, I mean, they really exhorted me. Hallelujah. They promised me cookies and lunch. And as you could tell, I got it all. Hallelujah. And, uh, and man, they, they tricked me and they, and they, they, man, they picked me up and they didn't, and they kept calling and they kept texting. And I finally said, okay, I will go. Hallelujah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> praise God. Uh, uh, the scripture tells us, doesn't tell me, uh, but in case you're wondering why I'm preaching this is because I'm, I have to do this. Like, I've got to do this because the Bible tells me to do this. You can get upset at me today. You can get mad at me today. 
But I would hope that you wouldn't pay a penny for a preacher who wouldn't tell you what the Bible says. I would rather go to a church where they tell me what the Bible says so I can either accept it or reject it on my own terms than to have somebody tell me I'm okay when I'm not okay or to have somebody just pat me on the back and lie to me. Amen. I have to do this. I have to tell you what the Bible says. Amen. I, in good conscience, I cannot not tell you. Hallelujah. And so um, when what's interesting about this particular verse is that these sums, these whoever they are, the sum, amen, uh, the sum, uh, the scripture doesn't really tell us why they stopped going to church weekly. It doesn't tell us why they stopped attending weekly gatherings. Um, but uh, there are four probable reasons. And I know that this might sound weird to you, but there are actually four very probable reasons that they did this. And I want to talk about these for just a few minutes um, because I think they are not only relevant, I think they are reoccurring. Before I say that, generations talk to generations. Mm -hmm. This generation that we are a part of, together, we are all part of a generation. And I know, I know sociologists and, and gurus and all these people, they try to say Generation X, Z, uh, Millennial, da, 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 all this. You know what? We are all in this together, all right? Like, and I know we're all different ages, but we are all part... From a biblical perspective, we are all part of the same generation and lifetime. Our generation is talking to the generation prior to ours. That's what we're doing. Collectively. Collectively. And let me tell you something about the generation prior to ours. The people that were alive before anybody in this room. The people alive back then. I'm not, I'm not talking about we have people of all different ages here. I'm talking about people that are dead and gone. Let me tell you something about early Americans. They were staunch on church going. And, and in some cases were wrong about their motive. Like, it's not uncommon. Even some of you who have deceased parents, you might have been raised in church. And you knew, like, you didn't have an option not to go to church. Like, you were going to be grabbed by the hair, ear, belts, chains, whips, and you were going to sit in that chair and... Bless God, like you, you was going to church. Like I heard one man say, he said, man, my, my grandma had a drug problem. She drugged me to church. She, she, you know, she just, she was just always dragging me everywhere. So, but we're talking to that today. And a lot of people say, well, man, grandma drugged me to church. She beat me on the way there. Like how Christian is that? And so what our generation and our, the people of our lifetime have done is swung the pendulum mm -hmm. all the way to the other side and said, you know what? I'd rather do nothing. I'd rather not participate. I'd rather buy, I'd rather buy, I'm not giving money to no church. I'd rather go buy me a venti latte at Starbucks that's going to starving kids in Guatemala. And I got nothing against starving kids in Guatemala. One of our very good friends is a missionary to Guatemala. And I promise you, she feeds more children in Guatemala than Starbucks does. Yeah. And, 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 you know, in fact, much of the world, the marketing world, is actually capitalizing on our charitableness. Right. And, and, and nowadays, well, if you buy one Tom's, we'll give another pair of Tom's to a kid in Africa. And they're actually, they're actually trying to relieve you mm -hmm. of that deep internal desire to give. And your grandma didn't force it on you. That's the way we are. 
I believe humans want to share. Now, I believe humans got a lot of problems. But I believe, and I, you know, and I got kids, and I know they see another kid coming, they squeeze their toys stronger. But there is something in us that wants to share. There is something in us that wants to participate in, in, in the betterment of things. That, that really is in us. Nobody's forcing that on us. But I don't think, I don't think our response is right to the generations past. I don't think we should have a, have a I'm not going to do anything because somebody made me do it one day. You know, it's like the dog who's been beat with the stick. Every time he sees a stick, he just cringes. But the stick is not the problem. It was who had the stick. And so I've, I, in my own life, and especially because I'm not native to the religious life, I, I was brought into it. It wasn't handed to me by my parents. I, I many times have had to hash things out in my mind and say, you know what? Um, I actually... You know, I've been mistreated in church. Uh, you stick around here. You, you go to any church long enough, you will get a complimentary mistreating. <laughs> uh, it, it'll just happen. And, uh, but guess what? You don't go to church, it'll happen out there too. So let's just get that straight. Uh, uh, yeah, it just happens wherever you go. But I've had to work things out. You know what? That person right there is not representing God, family, Everything that that person right there is not the center of the universe. Yeah. Therefore, I am not going to change the way I run my life yeah. because one knucklehead uh -huh. did me wrong. That's right. All right. So but let's let's move on. What are the reasons? What are the reasons that these people probably neglected their weekly gatherings? Number one, um, the book of Hebrews, the whole book is about uh, persecution. Uh, so it's very probable that a lot of people neglected going to church. Because they were afraid of being persecuted. Uh, that's very probable. Uh, gathering together is obviously, this is a public event. This is open to the public. Uh, we are gathered here today and being here in this public event, we're rather vulnerable right now. I mean, we, yeah, somebody could walk in through the door. I don't want to scare you, but somebody could walk in through the door and, and easily hurt us. Uh, this, is, this would not be difficult. Um, and so th there were these people that said, yeah. I don't want to get hurt, you know, so I'm not. And in those days, the persecution was heavy. Today, you will probably not suffer that kind of persecution. Uh, here in America, the kind of persecution we will probably suffer is that of our, it will be a verbal persecution or some sort of, you know, execution by public, uh, you know, uh, this dislike and dissent. You know, people in the public will say, you know what, your friends, whoever, uh, your, 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 your friends, your enemies, your frenemies, hallelujah, uh, they might all just say, you know what, you, you think you're so holy going to church now and, and they'll really put the fire on you and make fun of you and, uh -huh. and you know, look at you now and da, da 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 And so a lot of people can't handle that. A lot of people can't handle that. Um, but I want you to know that if you're going to be a Christian, you will be persecuted. I'm tired of selling people this Christianity where everything is okay and you could just, you're going to go back out into the world and nobody's going to have issues with what you believe. I'm welcome to the persecution club. The yeah. truth of the matter is uh, when you give yourself over to seeing things differently than the rest of the world, there's going to be conflict. Yeah. Some, that conflict can get heavy. That conflict can get hot. Yeah. That conflict can get uncomfortable. But you know what? There's got to be some cliffs worth jumping off in life. Yeah. There just has to be some cliffs with jumping off in life. Hallelujah. All right. 
Uh, number two, some may have neglected gathering together weekly because they felt no interest in it. Pretty simple reason. They just thought, you know what? As a Christian, I don't need to go to church. Uh, well, let me just say this. If, if you are avoiding church, amen, if that is your goal, just to literally avoid church, then no, you are not a Christian. I don't care what you call yourself. I don't care. I'm just being very real with you. I got to keep it real today. I, I don't want to betray God here today. But if, just, if you're just like, nah, like, I'm not feeling that, I'm, but I'm still a Christian. I think you're, I think you're, you're, you're misrepresenting uh, the reality of being a Christian. And I'll, and, I'll, and I'll elaborate on that. Uh, I'll elaborate on that on the third reason why a lot of people probably stopped going to church weekly. Some may have had doubts about its necessity. And on that account, they neglected it. They said, you know, I don't think that if I don't go, like I'm going to hell, I don't think that God's going to hate me or God's going to have something against me. Um, but let me say this. If a Christian just sits at home, unwilling to join with other Christians, unwilling to pray with others, and, and let me just say this. That is something we do here. We pray. We pray for ourselves. We pray with one another. We pray with visitors. Do you know that there are people that walk through our doors that really are at the end of their rope? Do you know that there are people? I was one of those people when I came to church. I was one of those people that I'm telling you right now, you could think I'm being overdramatic. I am not. When I came to church, I was severely depressed. I was, I was in and out of therapist's office, psychologist's office. I was suicidal. I was at the end of my rope. And can I tell you that when somebody, I had never experienced it in my life. I had never been to church. I wasn't raised in church. And I had somebody, I remember who it was. It was Nancy Holston's husband. Amen. I remember this man in church. And I'm just being very real with you. I, I didn't know many 45-year-old white guys. You know what I mean? And just, uh, but this 45-year-old white guy who I would have nothing in common with came up to me, wrapped his arm around me, and would just begin to weep and cry. And I'm thinking, man, this, this guy don't even know me. I, either he's depressed more than I am or, or something's really wrong with these people. And, uh, <laughs> and he just started weeping, and he just started praying, and he just started asking God's goodness on me and God's blessings on me and God's graces on me. And can I tell you, it melted away depression. It mel I mean, just that human contact, that touch, amen, that, that, that compassion, that, that's, that's, I would hope to God you have a burning desire in your heart to be that for somebody, amen. I shouldn't have to preach that into you, hallelujah. I shouldn't have to persuade you that that's a good thing to be, hallelujah. And you know what? This is, this is the best place one of the best places to practice that. You can practice that at home, but you can practice that here too. Hallelujah. And can I tell you, there are people that will walk through these doors that aren't going to walk through your doors. They're not going to walk through your doors. They're going to come through these doors. And I, I would personally like you to be here to help, to share your faith, to wrap your arms around somebody, to shed a tear, to let them know, amen, there are people in this world that care. There are people in this world that love. There are people in this world that pray. There are people... There are people in this world that will fight hell with a squirt gun with you. We will believe God for the impossible with you. There's nothing worse than telling somebody your problems and then be like, man, you're going down. That's bad. I hope you make it. God, give me a church with 500 or five people that'll say, man, you know what? 
God does miracles. And I know somebody's thinking, hallelujah. Well, I don't want to neglect my intellect. Hallelujah. Hey, let me tell you something right now. You are not betraying reason or intellect. Amen. To believe in miracles. Hallelujah. Yeah, and, and if you, you come back next week, I'll give you a long sermon on that. But it is perfectly rational. Hallelujah. Amen. To believe. Amen. In the improbable. Hallelujah. Amen. Because God does do miracles. Hallelujah. God can turn your life around. Hallelujah. God can turn situations around. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, so, but I want to say this. Can, can we say that we are truly following Jesus uh, if we don't go to church? Jesus says that he is the light of the world. He goes on to say that whoever follows him will not, everyone say will not. Whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In the book of 1 John 5, 7, uh, uh, 1, 5, 7, this is, uh, Jesus says, uh, the, the scripture says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, that is to say that we know God. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Hallelujah. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. To be a Christian means to walk in light. To walk in light means we have fellowship with one another. To forsake Christ means to walk in darkness and to have no fellowship with one another. It's a very simple progression. God says, I am the light. Walk in the light. If you walk in the light, the result of that is you will have fellowship with one another. You will gather together. Somebody who has the light of God in their life is not going to want to stay home. Somebody who really knows the love of God is not going to be like, you know what, I, I am chilling right here, staying home, on the couch. That's not what you're going to do. If you have, because you know what, that is not the nature of God. The nature of God, the light of God is to shine. It's to share. It's to go out. I'm telling you right now, there are people who cannot go to church. Amen. I'm going to finish here. I'm sorry for being so long-winded. Some may have been dissatisfied with a preacher or with some member of the church. It is not uncommon for people not to want to go to church because they've been hurt in the church. That is very common. Ugly things happen in churches. Bad things happen in churches. But ugly, bad things happen outside of churches. The person who doesn't go to church because it's full of hypocrites is just as much of a hypocrite as the people they are objecting to. Those outside the church are just as messed up and broken as those inside the church. There is a difference, though, and the difference is this. Those inside the church are greatly reducing their opportunity. Those outside the church who stay outside the church reduce their opportunities to grow and to heal. Maybe I'm wrong. You could correct me after church if you'd like to. Maybe I'm wrong. But I've, I've, I've lived a life, a deep life outside of church. I never went anywhere, anywhere where they told me, hey, you know what? Uh, you can't do that. That's not right. I mean, you know, outside of jail. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm like dating myself, but I remember back in the day, used to, there was a local rap group, Digital Underground, hallelujah, and they had this song called Do What You Like. I mean, that was like the song. That was like, damn, do what you like. That was the world's end, just do what you like. Don't matter if it's right or wrong, do what you like. Have it your way. Don't let nobody tell you what to do. And that's what we did. That's how I lived. I, by and large, I did not care what other people thought. Mm-hmm. By and large, I was going to do things my way, as Frank Sinatra once said. I mean, that's just the way it was. And not only that, all my defects, all my deficiencies, all my quirks, all my bad habits, I, there was nowhere I went to weekly to get those worked on. Nowhere. There was nowhere where I went to weekly where people were like, you, you've got to stop gossiping like that. You should not talk to your mother like that. There was nowhere I went to weekly where they were like, you know what? You should just forgive them because, it's man, it's giving you an ulcer. I, I just didn't exist. But it does exist here. And so, yes, you have messed up people here. But can I tell you? This is very simple math right here. When you turn the lights on, the bugs come out. So if a church is really doing what it's supposed to be doing, there should be a few bugs in the house. (laughs) There should be a few quirky people around here. By coming to the light, you are exposing yourself to healing, to improvement, to growth. And I'm just going to be frank and honest with you. Some of us are so undeveloped that we would do ourselves a great injustice, not only to ourselves, to our children, to our family, to our friends, and to society at large, to not go to church weekly. Uh I am not trying to insult you. I'm just being very real with you. I am am in that class. I would not want to be me outside of church Uh because I will act like an undeveloped knucklehead. We're done. That's it. That was a, hopefully nobody's too upset here. But this is this is a good moment right now. This is this is this is a good God moment right here. We're all gonna stand. My wife's gonna come sing. Smooth my sermon over. And I tell you what we're gonna do. We're going to pray for one another. And if you'd like, if you, if you feel like you have a special need and you'd like to come up to the front, we will pray with you. If you're looking for somebody to face the impossible with you, we'll pray with you. We'll, we'll stand by your side. Hallelujah. But either way, I want us to all pray for the person next to us. Hallelujah. And we're going to ask God, hallelujah, to help us to grant us an awareness and an insight and a foresight into this beautiful gift called church. Hallelujah, Jesus. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to It's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing.
Jesus, you're the same. 